When you start running into hard times and your pricing model is something that was guesswork that you just made up, that's when you really start feeling the pain. When these extraneous factors start to hit in, you can't control them and you start seeing the model really fall apart. Welcome to Subscriptions Scaled, sponsored by Rebar Technology. Join us each week to hear from industry leaders in the subscription space, share their best tips and stories, and learn how you can up-level your subscription business today. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Subscription Scaled. I'm your host, Nick Frederick. With me today is Marcos Rivera, who is the founder and CEO of Pricing.io. Marcos, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Nick. Glad to be here. Well, I'm excited to dive into a topic that's near and dear to everyone in subscriptions, and that is pricing, because it's the great conundrum, right? How do you solve this pricing where you can attract enough business, but also not leave value on the table? And I'm sure that there's a lot of strategy and thoughts around that that I'm excited to dive into today. But before we do that, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you came to uh, start the company. No, absolutely happy to. And yes, we can't wait to dig in and get into the meat and potatoes of pricing. My start is actually a little bit unusual. I didn't really start in any type of pricing theory. I didn't start in any type of pricing education. I started in product and building subscription software. And that was where I cut my teeth on understanding value and what it means, how to break it up into pieces, how to make sure that there was an experience that you're pricing at the end of the table. And what I did from there was realize, ah, so there's actually a willingness to pay that matches the experience. And the more I did it, the more I started finding ways to match them up better and better and better. And so that's how I actually found out how to do this niche skill. A lot of people tell me is by actually creating value and getting people to buy it. So that's my background, but from a more personal, a humble beginnings, I'm just a skinny kid from the Bronx that found a skill as I went to college, went through business school, my MBA, learned a ton about technology and how companies really work and how they buy and using that as a way to, to break into an arena that can help a lot of companies grow, which is what I really love doing the most. As you were going through various companies and throughout your career, did you see this as an underserved area or underfocused area that you were like, hey, that's a niche I can really latch on to? Oh, man, that is an understatement, if you will, right? Okay. So very underfocused. For me, a lot of folks tend to, uh, tend to guess at their pricing. When I ask them, right. where did this model come from? Oftentimes, it's I copied a competitor, or it was here when I got here, or I just made it up. It's usually what I hear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, then tell us a little bit more in your background, various roles that you've had looking at pricing across different businesses and kind of how you built up your experience. Sure, sure. So starting from the beginning, I started with creating uh, software and integrations between financial institutions. I know, it puts you to sleep here. What I was doing was creating these bridges between our bank and others in order to sell securitized assets, right? And so in doing that, you have to price the tranches and the assets for the risk of the portfolio. That's where I started pricing there and in my first fury in technology. Then I started getting into more of the product of building technology, workflows and automations and APIs and things like that. And then moving them, by the way, from on-prem to the cloud, because at that time, not to date myself, but the cloud was still coming. I'm into right there with you, man. <laughs> I learned on an AS400. So yeah. Oh, oh that, that was my, as a matter of fact, AS400 was where I first started building. Really? Yeah, was <laughs> awesome. Workhorse machine, man. They were awesome. <laughs> hey, the most robust thing out there, right? So yep. we kept on creating all these new solutions, moving them to cloud, moving them to mobile, going global. And 
I had to keep on repricing them and understanding, well, how are they buying this? What's the experience they're looking for? What are they willing to pay? What's the alternative? And as I kept doing it, I started realizing like, huh, I'm actually, there's a big difference between pricing wrong and pricing right in terms of how quickly you can sell something, how customers buy more, of course, your overall profits and recurring revenue. And, and I just completely immersed myself in it. This in the early 2000s, as I started getting more experience and realized that there's a lot of theory, a lot of here are the things you need to know and understand and figure out on a theoretical level, but no one actually talked about how to do it, like actually how to really do it. And so that's where I just continue to take it forward. And I really like to break things down into as simple steps as possible. That comes from my product management background. And I'm merging those two things together really helped me put, uh, be in a position to help companies figure out the pricing problem a lot faster and easier. So the methodology that you use today to develop pricing, was that something you worked on and were refining and kind of making a product out of while you were, before you started the company and then brought it in? Or was that something you developed after the fact? Yeah. So the skill set has been developing for over 20 years, right? The skill set yeah. itself. When I did it at this as their head of pricing, and I was doing it at scale. I started realizing, you know what? There's a faster, leaner, better way to do these things. You don't need $600,000 in six months to do pricing, like a la some of the big consulting firms out there, right? But as I started refining those and seeing real proof with real customers, again, going back to my product roots, that started really opening the sort of the idea floodgates on how do I do this at scale? How do I help companies who don't have a lot of runway and budget to do these things? but create a good structure to help them evolve because businesses don't stay still. They keep expanding, they keep doing things. And so your pricing never stays still either. So as I started really brainstorming on how to do this, I went on my own and took all those skill sets and created a few models. And that's where it all started was let's create a model for teaching them something and applying it to see if it works and then rinse and repeat something very basic. And then it just evolved it from there. Okay. Throughout your pricing experience, was it always on subscription recurring revenue models, transactional models? Have you done both? You know something? Usage-based pricing is becoming a lot more fashionable these days. Right. It's come up mm -hmm. quite a bit. I still think, though, that subscription models are not going anywhere anytime soon. And so I see a blend of both. And where I've had a lot of fun is actually creating hybrids where there's a subscription component and usage-based. I think that tends to result in some pretty creative ways to grow for a lot of companies. Okay. Well, let's go under the hood here a little bit pricing and talk about, let's say at the higher level for a second. And, you know, there's a lot of, I've talked to a couple of pricing people on the show here, and there's a lot of theories about, is it completely value-based, you know, looking at the customer and what they're getting out of your product or service, or is there a component of I'm looking at my costs and trying to add all of that up. And then I want a desired profit margin and kind of backing into it that way. Do you kind of lean one way or the other there? You're hitting it right at the fundamentals there, Nick. So most companies start with cost-based or competitor-based, which is let's just find the closest thing to you. And what are they charging, right? Let's be real. That's what people are doing. Then there's the customer base or really getting to that value, right? Understanding what they want, what they're willing to pay, what's their budget. And I would say that I definitely lean towards the value piece of it. And mainly because I just understand that value continues to evolve quite a bit. And so your opportunity for upside is greater in a value-based construct than competitive and cost, the other two methods. Costs really, and frankly, and even the technology subscription world don't really matter, right? In many cases, 
but you should not ignore your costs. You should make sure that you always understand like what's variable and changing, what's a fixed cost and using that as a input into the pricing. So that way you're always profitable and you're making money. On the competitive side, I'd be very careful about that. You want to make sure you know what they're charging. Yes, because guess what? Your customers are going to compare you to them. So you ought to understand those different pieces. Using it as your pricing can be a little bit misleading because I'm assuming you're in business because you're different than the competitor. If you're the exact same thing, if you're just cookie cutter, then fine. And that could work out okay. But chances are you have a different point of view and different value. That gets lost when you bank up against a competitor. So the value base is the best way to go. The only problem, it's the hardest way to go, right? It makes you really earn that money. Right. It feels like we are moving the scales from hard numbers that I can go get because they're sitting in my P&L somewhere. I can add these things up. I know what my costs are to somewhere in the middle of, okay, well, my competitors are doing it for this price. So they have their costs. They've done this analysis, right? So I can look at what they're doing towards something that is very subjective, which is value-based or can be subjective, which is value-based pricing, right? To a lot of people that feels very nebulous. How do I know what value my customers are getting from my product? How do you begin to quantify that? Oh, man. So great question. Great question. So I take my clients through a couple of different series here, but I'll boil it down to sort of the more common ones, the easy ones. And so the first one is a good old fashioned calculation around the ROI itself, return for the investment. So this is most of the time your business is designed to make something easier, faster, avoid a risk. You know, there's some key components there and it's inevitably linked to people. People, meaning what's the hourly rate for somebody that's going to do it without the software? What's the value of a new customer coming in, right? So you have to know with these things. If you understand what do you pay your people and what do customers pay you, you're on to something. You have some basis there. And so you start off with what are the main reasons your software exists or your product or offering exists in the first place? Is it to reduce time? Is it to increase throughput? And you have to run through a few scenarios on understanding how your product can add the value it's supposed to. So it is a bit of a benchmarking scenario-based exercise to understand the different value points and a little bit of math using, again, what you pay your people, what your customers pay you. And then you start getting to some basic numbers of value. And the key here is to look at a price point or derive a price point that your customers can get, let's say 10 times the value, right? So if the value you calculate is say $20,000, for example, then you want to have a $2,000 price points gets you $20,000, 10 times return. And those are the starting points. But if you have a ton of competition, you know what? 10 times is probably not enough. You probably want to go to 15 times or, or even 20. But if you're the only game in town and there's not that many options around that'll solve the problem like you, then maybe you can go as low as seven times or five times. And that's a okay. very good starting point just to get into the universe of what you can charge. Interesting. Okay. So how do you, when customers, different customers, customer A, B, and C might be deriving different amounts of value from your product, let's just say it's SaaS software, but you can't really control that, right? It's only how much they use it or how many people that can get replaced. What's your thoughts on like published pricing that says, I'm going to charge $49.95 a month for my product. And again, different customers get different value. Versus moving up towards enterprise custom pricing and things like that. Like, tell us your thoughts there. I get this question all the time. To publish yeah. or to not publish? What should we show? What should we not? Why? Yeah. I'll boil it down to really this, right? If you are in a space where you're offering something that costs less than $5,000 a year, even less than $1,000 a year, smaller dollar amounts, 
something that the spend can go on a credit card, something that could be recurring, then showing the pricing helps the decision-making process of that buyer. Oftentimes, they're reading your website, they're trying to figure you out, they're comparing you to others. And in many cases, in those kinds of spaces, you are actually competing against others who are showing their pricing. So you want to make the calculation in their minds very easy. So I would publish, if you're smaller amounts, quicker purchasing process, meaning somebody could buy right away. Now, as you start going down the spectrum of, hey, I need to talk to a rep, I need to see a demo, I'm going to have to have some tailoring or customization going on to fit my business needs personally, right? This is the buyer talking. And you know what? I have some special integration needs, or I have some special nuances in my business or department that need special help. As you start thinking about how much the offering or the experience can change, now you start moving more towards not publishing because you have to do more discovery to get that. And the decision-making process, these people want to tell you how unique they are and how much they need and what exactly they want. And so going through that process can lead them to the value that they want, lead you to also guide them to the right solution so they don't make any misinterpretations of what's available on the site. Now, you're probably wondering, okay, Marcos, that's great. But what if I'm in the middle? Like, what if there's a little bit of both, right? And yep. you probably saw this coming out of the way is you can do a hybrid model. It's okay to say, this is going to cost, you know, this amount for this basic entry level in a box plan. But as you move up, you can use uh, techniques like starting from or as low as to give them a sense of, hey, this is what you can start paying. And for the last one, you can say, hey, let's tailor a price just for you. Contact us, learn more, get a demo. And those are the areas where you really do heavy, heavy discovery. But the idea is you give them some sense. And in those cases, the trick that I tell a lot of folks that they don't know is that it's okay to tell the client what you're pricing for. So in that scenario, you can say, hey, price depends on number of users, number of integrations. Price depends on the number of cycles we do. I mean, whatever that is, you can tell them that so at least they get a sense in their minds like, oh, okay, I have a lot of users, so I might be paying more. And that conditions them. Do you see any advantages or dangers to pricing your product in a way that's proportionate to the revenue that they might generate through your platform or realize because of using your product or service, if it's directly linked to that? Yeah, that's a performance-based pricing, right? So this could be, hey, you know, if you win, I will take a percentage of the new revenue, percentage of the cut. It's a very advanced form of pricing, but let me tell you where it works and where it doesn't, right? So where it works is in cases where your subscription service, say, is potential to access or gain additional revenue. So for what I mean by that is a automated collections, okay? So say I'm a, a clinic and I'm using an automated collections to help me recover on outstanding bills or medical bills, deal with all the issues that come with collecting on those. And if your services help me do that, then I don't mind paying a performance-based percentage. Say, hey, look, if you don't recover this money, then you don't get paid. The more you recover, the more percentage you get. So- this is like new incremental business that you would not have gotten otherwise. And it's directly related to the software or service that you have. And so in those cases, performance space makes a lot of sense. I see it also in marketing campaigns too, and other places like that. Where it doesn't make sense is if you're trying to tag it to overall revenue, but you're uh, indirectly related to that higher revenue. Maybe you do reduce some costs, add some productivity, you know, all those things are fine. But there's other things in the business that lead to that higher revenue. And if you're trying to take a percentage of that, a lot of customers will push back. They could increase their sales team. They could do other things outside of your solution to increase revenue. And it feels like a tax. 
And you don't want to feel like a tax because that's the number one reason that they'll cut it loose is because they want to make sure that their upside doesn't get inadvertently taxed by a solution that is viewed as a help, but also could be viewed as expensive. That makes sense. Think about something like a sales enablement tools or sales assist tools that just kind of help salespeople do their job or communicator or things like that. Certainly tangential to the sale makes you more effective, but it becomes very hard to say that, oh, we have 10% 10% more revenue because we started using this, right? It's like, eh, that that becomes a very slippery slope. Yes, you're right about that, 100%. Yeah. Well, when you guys are, when a business comes to you and says, hey, I'm launching a new product or going to market over here, I need help with pricing. What does your process look like? Where do you guys start? How do you engage? Yeah, the first thing we do when a customer walks into us is we start understanding a little bit of the profile of the business, right? We want to understand, okay, are you selling 100K deals or $1,000 deals? Are you um, in a very rapid evolving state? Are you very mature versus, again, just changing every every couple months? Uh, Have you found a good product market fit, meaning you know who your customers are, who you want to sell to? You're now expanding to other markets. Are you trying to move and get bigger deals? Are you trying to go down and get smaller deals? What's the big play here from a growth perspective, right? So understanding where they're at and where they're going is to put it all kind of in a quick summary there. And then from there, we want to get into a sense for, okay, cool. So now that we have that understanding, where can we actually get some information to inform the pricing architecture, the pricing decision? What do you got? 10 customers, 10,000 customers. What information do you have from a data perspective? Believe it or not, I'm going to tell you this out loud here. A lot of companies have really bad data. Like they really have a lot of gaps and holes. It's choppy. It's in different systems. They don't know. So it's really hard for them to even know or see what's happening from a performance perspective. But that's okay. We're used to that. We can also see, well, what's who's your competitors, right? And if they tell me we have no competitors, I try to dig a little bit deeper because there's always some kind always of competitor, something. even if yeah. it's just, hey, do nothing or do it in-house, right? So we try to get behind that a little bit. And that gives us a landscape to figure out, okay, what information can we grab and use as a basis for our hypotheses, okay? So once we get through all that, we get into the, the next phase, which is all around the coaching piece. So now let's connect the dots. If you're telling me, for an example, you want to go down market and capture a bunch of smaller customers, well, then let's understand if you know your deal sizes and your way to get into the product. Is it a two-month process to get going in your product? Because that is not going to work if you want to go down to smaller customers or even down to self-service or something like that. you got to lean down. you got to lighten things up, right? And that's also going to come at a more competitive price. But the win is not really being cheap. The win is to be very, very low friction. That's the win down there, right? And so we help them connect those dots. That was an example. But we go through all those pieces, the segments. The last phase now is now that we have all this information, this is the part everybody wants to know in the beginning, but doesn't come till later is what do we actually charge for this stuff, right? Like what's the magic number? And I always say, good, before we figure that out, we need to know the experience we're charging for, who we really want, and then the why. And we take them through all that. We figure out, does it make sense to charge for the user seat? Does it make sense to charge by API call, transactions, by service, whatever that is? And we make sure that the packages are also not complicated. You got to make sure people understand quickly what they're getting. Sales reps can understand quickly what they're selling. So that simplicity comes into play. Simple versus flexible is always the tension we're fighting in any pricing uh, work that we do. And then we put the price tag on it with a bunch of data points. I talked about one earlier with the ROI. There's several, several more. And then we make sure they're super set up to roll out. Like, can you actually sell this to new customers? And wait a second, what about your current customers? They got to migrate from the old model to the new. How do you want to do that? 
and make sure that they're set up for success. For businesses that are selling their software, and you see this all the time, right? They've got the entry-level gold plan, fixed price, very simple. Here's the features you're going to get, and then maybe one more plan. And then there's the third one, right? That says call for price or enterprise pricing. And I want have to talk to somebody to get this. Where do you see that go wrong? Because you're going essentially from a model that's very straightforward. You're going to get X for paying Y all the way to something that's very custom. Where have SaaS businesses gone wrong with enterprise pricing? Super good question, because that model, that good, better and best model is about 70% of SaaS companies go that route. Reason being, because it works pretty well. I mean, it tries to balance simple and flexible by offering, you know, a lightweight entry point, something in the middle that most folks can use, and then something on the higher end that gets you a little bit more of that hands-on, that customization. In theory, it sounds great. Where a lot of companies go wrong is they tend to be way too generous in the entry plan. They add and stuff it with so many features that no one ever upgrades. Everybody stays in the entry plan. Mm -hmm. And the mix that you're looking for, Nick, and I want this for everybody to hear, the mix is 20% in the entry, about 50 or more percentage of your customers hanging out in the middle and about 30% on the high end. That's a pretty healthy mix. Uh, you want that center to be your sweet spot. So the big mistake, number one, too generous in the entry. Big mistake number two, too big of a jump to the middle. So if your entry plan is say 10 bucks and then your middle plan is $3,000, then you know it's not, I mean, I'm being extreme, but it's just very rare for people to jump into that middle plan. It usually you wanna see a two to three X jump or two and a half X jump. So if you're 10 bucks in the entry, you wanna be somewhere between 10, 30 bucks in the middle. You know, in many cases, not too far. You wanna make sure they can make that leap uh, within their budget. That's the second thing is too big of a leap into the middle. And I would say the third one, and I think maybe the most egregious, is that the plans over time start to lose their identity. And what I mean by that is you start increasing your offering, you increase number of features, you increase services, you increase integrations, you do all these things, and you don't thoughtfully sit down and place each of those new values into the packages. So what ends up happening is you just have a mismatch of experiences in each package. It gets unclear as to who's really the ideal buyer for it. So what ends up happening is you just keep on selling it. And if they push back, you discount. And then you discount until they say yes. And then they get it, right? And so, but what's happening here uh -huh. is you're now selling a lot of uh, different value seekers the same thing, and then it starts to lose uh, sort of your ability to capture value and your pricing power starts to go down. Those are the big three. That is fantastic advice right there. I was scribbling frantically as you were saying that because those were like nuggets of gold there. Well, I guess conversely, what are some things that you've seen them do really right? I mean, besides just the opposite of what you do wrong there. So there are a couple of things. One is Good, Better, Best has a very natural sort of middle Goldilocks effect, right? So a lot of folks who are uh, highlighting that middle plan and also writing down who the plan is most ideal for in a nice punchy little sentence, ideal for this type of business with these problems or this level of complexity is generally a really great place. So that way the user can, or prospective buyer, I should say, can identify with the plan and say, yep, this is for me. Uh, the other area I see they really work well is I'm noticing that companies are moving away from the feature vomit of like this long list of 45 features or 45 things in their plan. When you're reading psychology-wise, after you get to about seven or eight things, your mind switches from reading to scanning. Now you just automatically start to scan and then you start to lose the punch of what the package is really all about. And then you end up getting confused and then you end up saying, oh, I'll just come back and do this later. 
A confused mind never buys, never, right? So what you're trying to do here is create confidence to buy. Show me the plans. Show me what they're all about. Who are they for? What am I going to get if I do this thing? And that's where the testimonials come in. And like, hey, I achieved 50% productivity growth. I achieved this. I achieved that. You want to make sure those are in the vicinity of the buy now buttons or the, or the get started buttons. So that way they can get that last little nudge, right? So the layout of the page from making it very clear, these are the options. This is who's it's for. And this is what you get when you use them. I, I see a smile on my face every time I run into those types of structures with good, better, best, because that is the best way to leverage them. Again, awesome nuggets of wisdom there. Thank you for sharing. I want to turn a little bit to really external factors to pricing. Obviously, COVID was a major hit, both good and bad in different ways to e-commerce businesses, especially, but economic factors, recession or higher interest rates. What's your view on how much those factors should play in, especially considering that in the case of a lot of the things I just named, that impacts everybody. That doesn't impact just one business. Yes, that's actually a very important point here, especially with the economic climate we saw this year with the climate we saw in 2020 and the shifts around. And I always remember that old, I'm going to butcher his saying, right? But if you think about when the water tide goes down, like what type of underwear they're wearing or who's actually running around without their, their swim trunks. I mean, sorry, Warren. <laughs> it's all Warren's Buffett uh, mm-hmm. saying there. But the idea here is when you start running into hard times and your pricing model is something that was guesswork that you just made up, that's when you really start feeling the pain. When these extraneous right. factors start to hit in, you can't control them and you start seeing the model really fall apart, right? So you'll get things like customers wanting to cancel, customers wanting discounting, customers wanting concessions and all this and that in order to save them. And you don't have a good model in place. You end up doing a lot of unnatural things that end up giving up a lot of margin and could be costly for years down the road because it's hard to recover from a lot of that. So the way I look at it is your pricing model even if it's working right now, listen, there's companies right there that grow with a suboptimal model. Happens all the time, right? It's okay. You can get by with a suboptimal pricing model. But when those economic conditions start hitting, that's when you really feel the pain. And the way I look at it is the structure actually matters a lot more than the price when those things start to happen. When I say structure, I really mean things like if you have a structure of going back to good, better, best, just to use an easy example, If you have another plan that people can back into instead of just flat out canceling, if you have volume tiers that you can adjust volume discounting to give them a break for the higher volume, if you have the ability to add the create and use an add-on to a plan that could increase the value for a client and keep them from canceling. If you have a structure of good sound uh, basis of plans, maybe some add-ons or very high powerful compelling bundles and some good tiering, you can use those tools to help navigate really turbulent winds. That's one of the key things is you never know when these things hit. So you don't want to wait till after that hits to really relook at your pricing model. You want to try to get ahead of it. Yeah. Well, when it is something that's external that impacts everyone, do you see an advantage to having that flexibility to say, hey, I know this is hard for everybody out there. We're adding more features or lowering our price or doing whatever compared to your competitors. Yeah, I think that when economic times really get tough, You get a natural knee-jerk reaction in the beginning, right? Everybody wants to hold on to cash. They panic. Sales cycles start to slow down or the pipeline starts to dry up. So your runway gets a little bit shorter. 
And so as a business, what you're trying to do is make sure that you have enough runway to make it through the storm because these things are all cyclical, okay? They're going to have your peaks and troughs and you're going to make it on the other end. So don't do anything that's going to cost you several years down the line. So I think it's an advantage to be able to say to, to your customer base, say, hey, look, we know you're running into hard times here. What we're going to do is we're going to give everyone a free upgrade to this tier of support or to that tier. Let me show yep. you some more love during this time instead of, instead of straight dropping the price. In other arenas, you can say, hey, look, we're also increasing our access to something. Google did this, right? With Google Meets. I say, hey, I know things are getting tough. We're actually going to start introducing Google Meets for free or a certain amount of Google Meets for free in order to get through this time together. Salesforce offered free additional support, free additional training and implementation services to their customers so they can quickly introduce new workflows to help them make it through the other end as well. So I always lean down, double down on offering more value and help. Now, let's face it, right? Sometimes money is money. If customers don't have the amount of money to pay you anymore, then you can use different things called step-down plans. Or say, hey, look, we'll reduce the price. We'll get you down here. This expires on this day and gets you right back yeah. to the normal price. There's all the techniques yeah. you can do, but I wouldn't go out of the gate with those necessarily. I think people just need to make sure you're there for them and that you can help them through it. Makes a lot of sense. For those that are introducing maybe a brand new business, but a brand new product into market, particularly one that's got some competition, do you see a need and an advantage to coming in aggressive with your pricing, maybe far more aggressive than where you plan to end up and then like working up to that price? Or do you think go to market with where you plan to be? Oh man, yeah, new product pricing. One of my favorite things to do. So it's a bit trickier than refreshing or, or transforming pricing model because you don't have a lot of data. In that context, it's typically new stuff, maybe you know, a little bit of customer research, a little bit of competitors, but that's all you got to go on. And so the mistake a lot of companies make is they come in way too cheap to try to get some customers in the door. Let me tell you why that's a mistake. The idea is you're coming in as a new offering because you're probably faster or better or smarter or something versus the incumbent or what's out there. And so the early adopters are not going to adopt you because you're cheap. They're going to adopt you because you could solve the problem better. And so the pricing aspect of it is not the reason that they want to buy you. And so you don't want to come in overly cheap because that could send the wrong signal, especially if you think you're going to actually be a premium product in the future or the best in the category. What you want to do is you want to come in as the better solution to the problem. You want to have a price that is within the realm of the alternatives. You say plus or minus 20%. It doesn't have to be that far. But you want to stay in the realm. And then what you want to do is say, but for you, early adopter, we're going to come in and you're going to get an early adopter special rate. And you can give them something like 40% off, 30% off, so like a meaty discount to get started. Yeah. So what you just did there is you anchored them on the higher value, but you came in and you gave them a lower price point to really induce the trial. And again, it's more of a sweetener than sort of the lead reason for buying you in the first place. They were already looking at you because you're going to solve the problem in a more compelling way. But that extra, that price coming down just gives them say, oh, thank you for rewarding me for coming out here and being an early adopter. So that technique, having a high, low price point in a new product works really nicely to not artificially handcuff you from raising prices later when you're able to then capture that value. So Marcos, you've given us a ton of nuggets today throughout this conversation. How much of that is in the book you just put out? Oh man, I'm just getting started. I'm just getting started. So <laughs> 
Listen, this book has a controversial amount of pricing tips and tricks and techniques all in there. Okay. I can Packed other, it in, huh? <laughs> other pricing consultants cringe when they read it because they're like, ooh, you're really going to give them all that? You're going to talk And I say, well, you know what? People need to know this, right? I think that if folks that are trying their darndest to run a good, sustainable, profitable subscription business, they're trying to grow, knowing these things will help them grow. If they grow, that's more value for us, right? Which is a nice virtuous cycle. But what's really going on here is I think that there's way too many books on pricing theory. You read and on page 54, it says, hey, you should really figure out your customer's value and price to that. Like, well, no kidding, right? It's just, it's a very unsatisfying place to be, right? So I said, I am yeah. not going to do that with this book. So I put in checklists and shortcuts and questions and real examples from real software companies and real examples all around to really get to the meat and potatoes of what it takes to monetize your value. Well, where can people get it? So right now, the book is available everywhere books are sold. The number one source right now that no surprise is Amazon. You can go to Amazon yeah. Books. You can, the book is called Go Street figure. Pricing. You type in street pricing, it'll take you right to yeah. it. And it's really a playlist. And so the fun part about the book is I didn't go down the path of a very boring kind of academic textbook. I infused it with, I think, one of the most fun eras of music, 90s hip hop. And so each of the chapters are themed after a fun song from the 90s. I tie it well together. It's a fun read, super nice. casual language, right? Mm -hmm. Because listen, I've read a big upwards to almost 75 different pricing books, and I will tell you, they will put me to sleep every time, right? So I didn't want that to happen with my readers. So I put a lot of fun behind it, in addition to all the quick references that you have in the book. It should be a guidebook that you reference again and again as you grow your business. What was your motivation for doing this? You just have so many thoughts in your head that you're like, I've got to get this all down into, into something or where did it begin for you? Yeah, it started with me because I really thought that the guesswork has to stop. It has to stop. And it's, there's so much writing on your pricing. 100% of your revenue depends on your pricing that it's too important to just leave to these low diligence, very quick back of the envelope type of methods. So I wanted to at least take down and start giving everyone a quick guide turned into a very large guide. The large guide turned into a book as I started writing it out. And I thought first for a minute, you know what? Can I actually build something that is the new sort of go-to resource for a lot of these folks who want their most challenging, pressing pricing questions answered? And can I make it fun? And I signed myself up to my own challenge and ended up writing something that I thought was a very, very different take to the whole pricing problem. And yeah, three years later, it took me three years to write this thing, Nick. It was very, it took wow. a lot of work there, lots of artwork in it as, as well. And that's the, kind of the main motivator is, can I help folks answer these questions that I know are roaming in their minds? I can't help every client out there, but if they can grab this book, this will give them a leg up on everyone else. Well, congratulations for getting that out. That's, I'm sure that's very exciting, just a few weeks into it now. If anybody listening today or anybody that might go out and read the book wants to get in contact with you, learn more about your consulting services, or just get in touch and ask a question, where can they go? 100%. So the book, again, is Street Pricing. So Street Pricing is the book. To get a hold of me or even grab a copy of the book, you can also come to my website. My company is Pricing.io, so it's Pricing.io.com. Uh, as you go to pricingio.com, you can check out the book. You can check out our services, a little bit more about how we help companies. I got a great blog there with lots of good meeting tips. Some of the things we talked about today are on that website. So you're able to go in there and to grab a copy again on that website. You can also go to Amazon at a very quick and easy way to get access to it. Absolutely. Well, everyone should definitely check that out. And 
thanks again for the conversation today and all all that you shared. Like I said, I was writing frantically as you were talking and giving us very specific examples and numbers throughout there. That is super helpful. So again, appreciate the time today and all that you've shared with us. Nick, it was a lot of fun here. I forgot to mention one last thing. If you're yeah. an audiobook fan like I am, the uh-huh. audio is on its way. I'm go. halfway through recording it. So look for that towards the end of the year. Okay. Lots of fun. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Marcos. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Subscription Scale, sponsored by Rebar Technology. If something we said today resonated with you, please subscribe, rate, and download our podcast and share this episode with your network.